the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. The big silence. Hello and welcome to the big silence. And happy new year. When this episode comes out, we are in 2023, and I will have been back from Telluride, Colorado, where I'm actually headed there in two days, and for six nights with Bobby, one pump, and not bringing my computer, I'm bringing my journal and my calendar to prepare for this year. So today's podcast guest is Captain Sandy Yawn. Such an incredible story. It's a great story to hear at the top of the year because she is living proof that you can come from nothing and you can do anything. And you just have to dream big, find your strengths, and just forge your own path. And I think a lot in society, we are taught that we have to have a certain career and go to college and be a lawyer, a doctor, or such. But Sandy is proof that you can achieve something if you put your mind to it. And I really like her story because she had a huge shift in her life where it could have ended very poorly, but now she's out there. Captain of the super yachts across the world. You also may know Captain Sandy from, she's the super yacht captain and the star of Bravo's Below Deck Mediterranean Um, She's really great at sharing leadership skills, critical thinking, and she's really great at empowering you and letting you know how powerful and how wonderful you are and that you can achieve anything. So enjoy this episode. And of course, always share it um, if you know someone that, you know, could benefit from listening to Miss Captain Sandy. And always, please go comment, like on the Apple reviews. All right, much love. Enjoy the episode and let's hang together this year. Make 2023 the best yet. All right, welcome, Captain Sandy Yon. So excited to have you here. I know we were supposed to be in person and then 
Our paths did not cross in Austin, but perhaps they will in South by Southwest. Hopefully. And thank you for having me. Of course. So uh, as I mentioned, Captain Sandy, the history, like your story is incredible. And a little bit about mine, we were just chatting or similar past, perhaps. And I want to talk about how you got kicked out of high school, because I almost did. But you definitely know her from Below Deck on Bravo. And how long have you been on Below Deck? Since 2000, 2015, I started filming. It okay. aired in 2016. Okay. Fun fact, I had a show on Bravo in 2013. <laughs> What was the show? It was called Toned Up, but we only did one season. Uh, <laughs> so It's hard to have a TV show. I had no idea like what goes into it and how they decide like what stays, what doesn't stay. And it's really interesting. Yeah. It, it, it up. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. I mean, this was in the beginning of Tone It Up when we were first building our, our company. It was, it's fun though. It was really fun, but it definitely is an yeah. experience to be like, what did I get into? But here you are, yeah. how many, you know, several yeah. years later. Okay, so you are a, a badass super yacht captain, which is, don't say that, don't do that look. You are. Like, <laughs> I, I've seen, like, the massive yachts that you drive. I mean, my husband drives a 45-foot tour bus sometimes, and I don't know how he does it, so I don't know how you do that. But I love your story because I want to back up to younger Sandy, and what you went through in the childhood, and then how you got to where you are today. Well, in the book, it, I think yes. I share a little bit about it. We shared earlier, well, you shared about your mom, and I think my mom had schizophrenia. Definitely mental illness runs in my family. Mm-hmm. My mom was challenged, and on top of that, a lot of people with mental illness drink or do drugs to help with that part of life. Mm-hmm. My mom drank alcohol, so we grew up in that environment, which was insane. And man, kids that survive families that suffer from mental illness and addiction, and you come out on the other end and aren't able to have a quality of life, that's incredible. So I was on that merry-go-round. I Addiction runs in my family, so I picked up on addiction. Mental illness runs in my family. I'm sure I had some of that. and. Um, you know, I just want to clarify mental illness is an illness that can be treated, right? Mm -hmm. So we learned that I got sober, was in and out of jails and institutions. Most of my young adulthood, I think my first time incarcerated was as a juvenile. I was in a juvenile detention center and I graduated to the adult detention center. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Uh, no judgment here. Yeah. Three times arrested as a teenager. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> my step, my parents remarried when I was eight. My stepdad was a cop. Yeah. That helped. And I never spent time. I was overnight. They let me sit overnight, which is brutal, man. Those places are freezing cold. I was just, oh, so they cold. don't feed you. No they blankets. take the blanket away at like three or four in the morning. You're like, what are you doing? They say, Why do they take the blanket away? I don't get <laughs> no. that. To punish you. Talk about stripping you of all rights. And I um, was, you know, that kid and into adulthood. And I remember I was in front of a judge once because most of my incarcerations were drinking and driving. And, you know, I did that before Mothers Against Drunk Driving. It was the legal drinking age. I think it was 17 in my state when I was 17. Yeah. And then it went to 18 and then 20 and 21. And I had a judge say to me, you know, Sandy, 
your driver's license is a privilege. It's not a right. This is a privilege that will be taken away from you for the rest of your life. Something clicked. And I remember hearing this girl who had a drug addiction problem was in and out and she remembered her driver's license number. And I thought, wow, if I can remember that. (laughs) So I made a point to remember my driver's license number just in case it was ever taken away. So I got clean, changed my life. You know, I was in a halfway house for six months and then I found a job in the maritime industry and I was washing boats. And then at I was taking care of this one, guys. What age is this? I was 25. So okay. from the age of 13 is when I started to use drugs and alcohol till 25. And in between that age span, I was in and out of drug and alcohol treatment centers and, and incarcerated. Yeah. I have no shame. I don't have any shame. Thank you. God for that. I never did. The only thing I never felt worthy of was looking at the sky. It was so weird. I never felt worthy Hmm. to look at the clouds. I had a belief in a higher power, but I never, you know, I was forced to go to church and it wasn't kind of God I wanted to worship. You know what I mean? It was like I was going to hell for everything. And so basically while I was in treatment, we learned to find a power greater than ourselves that could restore us to sanity. And that meant when you repeat the same action over and over again, and you get the same result, they clarify that as insanity. Mm-hmm. Well, picking up a drink or a drug for me, I always ended up back, <laughs> you know, either yeah, in treatment or yeah. in jail. And that was insane. Why did I keep doing that? Yeah. And so basically, I never felt worthy until I got clean. And then I felt worthy. So I never had shame, but I didn't feel worthy. It was so strange. And I remember I had a sponsor and she goes, Todd, describe your life, how you felt one word before you got sober and I it was hopeless mm-hmm. I felt hopeless and I was I had a hopeless state of mind and body until I removed the use of drugs and alcohol to treat my mental illness so to put it in layman's terms if you have a drunk horse thief and you sober him up what do you have a horse horse thief. a horse thief. <laughs> he's just sober right so you got to change that and that's what I had to treat And for me, the 12 steps was my treatment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I cleaned, I admitted I was powerless. I relied on a power greater than myself. I took, you know, I turned my will into my life over to that. I cleaned house. I did an inventory. I made amends. And I remember I had a sponsor and she said, Sandy, you're going to go into uh, this. I bought this furniture and I had no intention of paying for it. I got it on credit. I'm "I'm not paying for it. I'm just going to keep it right. Because that was the mentality. And she goes, you're going to pay them back. I sat in front of that manager and I said, I can pay you $5 a week. Mm-hmm. And I paid him $5 a week for like two years yeah. until I paid it off. But that feeling of restitution was incredible. That feeling of not owing someone was incredible. So I made amends. I, you know, in my addiction, I was kicked out of high school. I shared that. I, mm-hmm. I yeah. wasn't wanted there. I wasn't wanted a lot of places. Yeah, And then I changed my life by getting sober. I treated my mental illness, which ran in my family and still does. I have addiction runs rampant in my family as a medication in their mind to their mental illness. And for me, I just surrounded myself with like-minded people. You know, I'm a, I go to meetings and had sponsors. And for me, that's my path, right? We're talking about my path. That's not everybody's path, but it was mine. And 
I had to remove all those people, places, and things that I had to separate myself from that. It was hard. And I had to make new friends and choose new people, places, and things that were like-minded, that was on the same path that I was on. Because in the world out there, you want to be around like-minded people or you're attracted to someone's path and you go, how can I surround myself with that kind of person that has goals, that has intentions, that does things with selflessness and not selfishness? And I had to do that. And I, it, even today, yeah, even today, you're I sober, learned. You're sober 34 years, yeah? Yeah, 33. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was listening to your podcast. Oh, yeah, so, like, I think yeah, before I was. Thank there. you. So, yeah. I, I, even so, today, like after 33, 34 years, and still, and listening to someone who's feeling hopeless still, maybe in their, haven't quite gotten sober or they are on that journey or they're one year, two years, and like the advice, because even today, what is, is there a struggle still? Well, not with, sometimes I wish I could have. Uh, an edible. I live in Colorado, but a drug is a drug is a drug, mm-hmm. period, for me. I don't care if it's an edible or legalized THC or legalized alcohol. It doesn't work in my body. Yeah. And yeah, so, but addiction just isn't drugs and alcohol. There's other addictions, mm-hmm. food, sugar, which I, I got to get off the sugar. Just today, I realized, so my struggle is how do I become more selfless in my mind, oh, that's just how you do it. So you know when you have a problem and someone else knows how to solve it and mm-hmm. they just, they give you the solution very quickly and just do that. You're like, but, but how? you're not actually in my skin, right? Yeah. So great. It sounds great. Like I have a friend that's going through a lot and it's it's a breakup sort of thing. And I'm just like, yeah, I had to go through what I had to go through, but the person had to break up with me because I didn't know how to break up. I didn't know how to leave. And it's my struggle is to be patient with someone who's going through something and to know that their journey may not be like mine. Mm-hmm. It may be a harder path for them or an easier path. But to have the patience and the grace and give them that and not just go, here's the solution. Why aren't you doing it? Stop complaining. You know, like, yeah, because <laughs> I'm on the flip side now. You know, it's like, yeah, it's just a hard to get off the pot. You know what I mean? <laughs> but sometimes people need more time. Yeah, it's definitely a struggle and we each have our own story. And I think it's really important for us who have been through so much and watching others' journeys who go through it. And everyone is different and coming at it with no judgment. And have you gone through well, through the 12 steps you've and your work? You've probably gone uh, through therapy and yeah. such. And oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember one time I had a therapist and I was like, oh, She's like telling me about my trauma and all of this. And I was like, so what do I do? She's like, just don't react the way you do. I'm like, but how? <laughs> like, there's got to be more. Like, I need more advice and like, just don't do it. And so what are the steps to like, how do you take care of yourself mentally as like a daily practice today? Yeah, see, you know, because you've done the work. So. And the how is, it's actually in our big book how it works. It's really cool. I talked to Leah about this. I go, you and I, because it's no joke, people are in relationships, they have opportunities to grow. 
So I always said to her, the subject matter will change, but our approach has to also change, right? We can't just get mad and fire off or if you're upset, walk out of the room. We're always going to have that content. It's how we respond. So how is changing the character? The characteristic is what we need to change. So if I disagree with someone and they're not listening to my reasoning and they're just not listening, so you start talking louder because they're not hearing. You think they're not hearing you. They're just not interested. That's when you just take a pause and you go, okay, this is not about me right now. This person doesn't hear what's coming off out of my mouth. How do I approach this differently? So changing the different approach. I read a book called Nonviolent Communication. I don't know why it's called that, but it's really interesting because it wasn't about violent communication. I think it was about the approach. And that's the thing that has to change. And the how is you will be given opportunities, the same ones, just different subject matter to show up differently. And that's where you see those like-minded people or the people that you desire to be more like and how they approach a situation. And that self-leadership, that work is leading myself first. So that's checking myself, right? Making sure that do I owe an amends? Promptly admit it. Because when you're carrying resentment or, Mm -hmm. you know, someone's resentful, you got to clean that up, Mm -hmm. right? So just do it. It's so easy to say, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm big on, yeah, I'm big on not having resentment, whatever. And just forgiveness. I know there's a lot of conversations, even with Zach Williams, Robin Williams' dad was on here and we were talking about resentment. And he's like, but you can't always just forgive because then you're a forgiveness factory. I'm like, well, that's me. I'm a forgiveness factory because I don't want to hold that resentment. That's true freedom. Yeah. Forgiveness is your freedom. Mm -hmm. And if they don't respond to your forgiveness, that's really not your business, right? You just keep your backyard clean. Do the next right thing. Mm -hmm. Forgive because that is freedom. You know why I walk around like a ball of joy? It's because I don't have anyone that I haven't forgiven. Mm-hmm. Now, others may not forgive me, and I have to live with that because of my behavior. I have to forgive myself, mm-hmm. right? That's they may not forgive me. They may not want me back in their life. And there are those people who don't. Yeah. But and that's okay that's because okay. I forgive myself and I've allowed myself off the hook. And that's my that's where my joy comes from. Yeah, that's important. I, I have that joy and that's your forgiveness what do you call it forgiveness forgiveness factory <laughs> like i love it <laughs> yeah. look at that smile you know what i mean i want to be a member of the forgiveness factory <laughs> you are <laughs> so now do you do you uh look up at the sky now i look up at the sky i feel worthy yeah pretty awesome that's beautiful so let's go back sandy at 25 years old you're washing the boats Yes, I found a job in the newspaper. <laughs> it's so funny because that was my age group. And uh, I answered the ad. I started washing boats and I loved it. It was true freedom. Like I've got a, you know, I had to save my money, pay all my fines off. I got a Jeep. I had a boat bucket, a brush, teak cleaner, and I would drive around and maintain about 14 boats a week. Made great money. My schedule was really flexible. And then I got approached by a guy who offered me a full time job. And he sent me to C school 
And I continued my career. I worked for him for nine years. I grew up. He gave me my epaulets. I got raises and promotions. And I worked. I put the work in. And then he sold his vessel. And that's when I journeyed out beyond the umbrella of John Flynn, who gave me that opportunity, which was a scary jump. And I did this concert a couple of days ago to raise money for kids to get a high school program across the country <laughs> to educate kids about the maritime industry. And having that is my way of giving back to the opportunities that people gave me. And because of him, he was able to send me to sea school, but a lot of people don't have that opportunity. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing with that. Obviously, it's not for profit. And it's those little things that matter. So I just kept graduating and graduating in my world because I never graduated high school. I didn't go to college. And man, was I thick to learn. You know, <laughs> I was like in those classrooms trying to learn to be a captain. And it's, it's calculus. No, that, you know, I, I had to learn to, I had mass- to learn to operate a calculator. Yeah. I, that is quite the feat of boat that big. Yeah. So, and not, I didn't go to college either. And I've had to learn so much about business and I learn visually. And so, okay. So you're learning everything to get your captain's license. And initially, were you going for the super yachts or were you starting smaller? No, I was just happy to be there. (laughs) Remember, I was the person that was worthy to look up. I was blissfully ignorant through life. Honestly, just kept doing the next right thing. I was happy. My ambition was to stay sober and mm-hmm. to help another person in recovery. Mm-hmm. My ambition wasn't to pursue money. It was strange. Or a career. My It just kept happening because I just kept working hard mm-hmm. and showing up on time. Showing up on time and not leaving before I'm supposed to leave. And that was all part of that reconditioning and that character building. I'll give you an example. Someone gave me cash at the charity in my hand. And I thought to myself, do I just spend this? It was like 50 bucks. or And then I put the cash back. Or do I actually drive to the bank and put the cash in a bank account and make that effort? Because that was someone's hard-earned $50. Mm-hmm. It deserves me getting in my car, driving to the bank, not just transferring money from my bank account. That came from that person, $50. So it's that action. Arriving on time, leaving the time you're supposed to leave, or, or staying later, not leaving before the five o'clock hour, whatever the hour was. It's like doing the next right thing. And I did that for a long time until the day came when someone offered me a build on a 157 foot motor yacht. And I was like, I was having these dreams of elevators taking off, going in different directions. Yeah. And I looked it up and it said rapid advancement in one's career. Talk about, I went from a 92-foot motor yacht to a pre-construction build captain of a 157-foot motor yacht. I've never done that before. (laughs) They trusted me. I was like, wow, that was pretty awesome. Uh, And that's when my, that's when I was like, wow, this could be a real career. You know, I never thought of it as a career path until that opportunity. So, strange. And that, then that comes with a lot of responsibility and accountability. So now you have this 157-foot yacht, and you have a crew. You're the captain. You're in charge of your crew. You're in charge of everyone who's on the boat as a guest. How did that feel? 
coming from where you are and then having this like responsibility. Today, even today, when I drive a boat out into the blackness of darkness with lives on board, (laughs) I look back and go, wow, have I come a long way. Mm -hmm. And if they only knew my past, (laughs) would they trust me? You know, because that's what I love is that you can change. You can become trustworthy. You know, you can become reliable. All the things that I was never, I was not that person. I was unreliable, untrustworthy. I, you know, I was that person to becoming this super yacht captain that, you know, by doing the next right thing and staying clean and sober in my life and just opportunities just kept presenting themselves. And I just kept, doors would open. I'd walk through another door would open. I'd walk through. I never questioned it ever. Mm And then that big opportunity, a super yacht captain. Now I have lives on board. I'm in charge of 12 crew. It's pretty awesome. Well, I get that too. Really awesome. Even with my career in the fitness industry, and we started, Kat and I founded Tone It Up 13 years ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, no one can know my past because there was shame in it. But then now, it's kind of like you, like, I'm damn proud of the woman I've become and have overcome. And then people do trust you because change is possible. Like, no matter what anyone has been through, their past and their struggles, we do change. We evolve. And it is really hard work. And then you get to that moment, like, yeah. I did it. Yeah. Pink sings a song. I've already seen the bottom. I have nothing to fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? What do you have to be afraid of? And I always share this with Leah regarding finances because we all go through that. It's like, mm-hmm. do I have, will I have enough money? I always reflect on my history and my work. It only has gotten better. Yes, there's been dips, but I've always been able to make more money. It's only gotten better. So I'm capable of earning. And I just want to share that to your listeners that no matter what fear you're in, just look at your history. You Mm -hmm. will get through this. Mm -hmm. You will get through this. Yeah, I agree with you. There's so any struggles that come in someone who has been through so much like yourself, you just, it's like, I've already been there. I got this. There's like this confidence and that comes with it, which is beautiful uh you know wouldn't take anything back of the past and also coming from that background the willingness to take risk because you've already hit rock bottom which is fine and good so now i feel like in your role because you've been through so much and you've had then the success and there's some sort of i don't know i'm just thinking this in my head of giving back well number one through your charity but number and your nonprofit. Number two, you have these lives on board and even the crew members. Do you sort of become like mama hen of the yacht? I wouldn't say mama hen. <laughs> I would say like a team captain, you know, yeah. like because with parents, kids get away with things, right? Mm-hmm. With uh, like coaches or captains, there's no sugar coating. I'm not a sugar coder. My gift. Honestly, I feel like my gift is I've always been the Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer, mm-hmm. paint the fence. I make the fence look fun to paint. I make my job look easy because I enjoy what I do. To me, anything that I step into, I want to have a great experience doing it. Whatever city I visit, I find the good. I don't go to the bad. If someone talks about a certain city, 
And they go, oh, it's terrible. I go, well, no, I found some. Oh my God, it's so beautiful over here. I am that person. Is the glass half full or half empty? And I invest in crew who want a career in this industry. I invest in those people, people that just show up for TV. It's like, that's great if they want a TV career. But if they want to merit, because I don't know anything about TV, right? I just do my job on the show. I don't know TV at all. (laughs) So Maritime, you got me. That's my gift to give back. And it, it gives me, look at Malia, you know, like, look at her. She only wanted to work on dive boats. She did not want to be a captain of a super yacht. Whatever I said to her, she was on Anchor Watch that night. Something changed. She's actually being promoted to first officer. Oh, wow. I just spoke with her last week. And I mean, look at her path. Isn't that cool? It's so interesting because you never know the impact people have. I, When I was uh, doing this concert over the weekend, there was a captain in the in the crowd. Her name is Vicky, and she ran a boat called Medusa, and it's owned by Paul Allen before he passed away. And on that vessel is a recording studio, and I think you two recorded on it. So she was in the Monaco boat show. We never really like I saw her a couple times, but she had no idea the impact she had on my life. So she took over Medusa. I was on a ninety foot two foot boat. That boat she took over was 242 feet. And I was like, yeah, and every guy was watching her. I'm hoping to see her succeed, but I have a feeling it might have been to fail. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, a lot of people do that. And I was so proud. And I thought, wow, I can be, if Vicky can do it, maybe someday I can do it like a little kid. And I said this to her, she was in the audience that she was my mentor and she had no idea the impact she had on my life. Sometimes when you show up in life and you're just doing the next right thing, you have no idea the impact you have on someone else's life that you don't even know about. Like your podcast, this TV show I'm on, it's impacted so many lives in a positive way. So just keep doing you and what you do best, because I guarantee you, you are helping another human being. That's the goal. When you come from rock bottom, it's then just to help others and still do things that you're passionate about. And yeah. So how, I'm so interested in your job too. So how often do you, is it called drive a boat? I'm not familiar. Like ride, ride a boat? Uh, run, run, say run, 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 okay, run a boat. Uh-huh. How often are you out there and for how long? All right. So often for the show, we film for six weeks, but my career, I was on board. I had six weeks off a year. Every other day I was on board. It's not an easy life if you're in a relationship. It's Mm -hmm. very difficult. Now I just do deliveries in between the show. So delivery up to East Coast or to the Caribbean. So that's not really charters because I... On If you're hired on a boat in your charter vessel, they want that captain. So it's mm-hmm. not really fair to the broker, the owner. They want a full-time captain. They yeah. don't want someone who's just there yeah. for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So I want to talk about your book, which comes out in January, January 10th. Yeah. And I love the title, Be the Calm or Be the Storm. There it is. I love this. Yeah. Um, it's Leadership Lessons from a Woman on the Helm. Can we talk about this and what made what drew you to writing a book? It's your first book, right? Yes. 
Wow. Hardest thing I ever did in my life. How, um, how long did it take? How long? Three years. It, yeah. I know my book. I yeah. thought my book would take a year. It took five. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the fans kept saying, when are you going to come out with a book? You need to write a leadership book. You need a book. You need a leadership book. Let me find this book I have here. Okay. I'm going to grab this book. Okay. This book called Shackleton's Way mm-hmm. is about an explorer, Ernest Shackleton, who kept his crew alive for 14 months while their boat was crushed in ice in the Antarctic. He rowed about 800 miles in a little boat when God help and back to rescue his crew. Not one person died. In this book, it's story form. So it's through storytelling. I'm not a textbook person, clearly. <laughs> I didn't go to college or I did this in story form. And what I loved about this book was it captured me as a reader, as a leadership book. I'm not the textbook type. So I wanted to write in a style that through a story as an example to capture the readers and give them these little nuggets to take home. And at the end of each chapter, it's called uh, the captain's log and it gives you tips on how to, you know, pause or rethink or deal with someone. And that's really what I did. You know, I have a collaborator who was awesome in helping me do this. And I am so grateful. And did you do an audio version on your book? Not yet, but I am this year. Girl, the hardest thing I ever did. Okay, tell me about that. Because Emily's over here, who I was coordinating with you and your team. And so I tried to before it was done, but there was so much. And then I was like talking to the, the sound people and they're like, tweak this. I was like, I don't know. Because I wanted to film at home in my own studio. So tell me, you have it. Very Give me some hard. tips. Uh, you know, when you go to read your book, okay, so let's just put it this way. I don't know if you read Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights, but mm-hmm. I listened to it. He took three months. I had three days. Oh, and I how, was how many hours? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I was in that studio all day. But bring that singer's throat spray. It works. I'm telling you. I kept spraying my voice. And I watched the series um, First Ladies. Mm-hmm. And Eleanor Roosevelt, what we call a podcast today, would address, would do a radio show. And the way she talked was very slow. And it was actually really interesting. And that, for some reason, stuck in my head. So when I went to read, I thought, slow down. But when you read a book, you're not reading out loud, you're reading a book. It's not the same as when you're reading it out loud. The words change. Mm-hmm. Your flow is different. And I'm just like, oh my God, I tried to stick from word to word. It was so hard. I wanted to quit so many times. And every time I would get to the part where I can't do this, I would read a sentence in my book. It's like, don't give up. <laughs> and I <laughs> said like, to the okay. producers in the other room, I guess I better not give up. <laughs> and I know they hear everything I was not using good words. I mean, I was just like, I had my moments where I wanted to just leave and I forced myself to stay there. So my, if you can take, well, it's your book. I, Hay House is the, they have timelines. You can take your time. I recommend that you just start it and take your time. And other things like when you're reading it, you'll go, wow, that I'm going to change that. You know, and I think 
well, I'm grateful I was able to do that because I was able to, before the book was published, go back and we changed some things in the book. Yeah. And so I was going to do it and release it when my memoir came out in May 2022. But then it was also really hard for me to read the memoir because I was releasing it just five months after my mom passed away. And reading the mem- I couldn't not be emotional and so I, was, I don't think I was ready at the time either. But now the goal is um, in the beginning of 2023 to to do it and have it come out in May. So, but I think emotion is good yeah. um, when you're not bawling, crying. Can't. Okay, not bawling, crying. <laughs> yeah, I cried. <laughs> I, cried I still too. will. My mom's in my book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. The hardest, hardest parent to lose. Like I lost both my mom and dad. My mom cut me to the core, though. That was mm-hmm. my dad was really difficult. But I think it's about your mother carried you for like nine months, you know, and it's like it took me years to be okay yeah. with her passing. Yeah, I think that's an important conversation to have too is allowing yourself the grief and like, mm-hmm. you know, when that happened, you know, everyone's like, when are you going to get over it and through it? I'm like, there is no timeline for this. there, And so, right. again, no now. judgment, no timeline, just be. But so I want to, I'm excited to read your book. I'm going to get it when it comes out in January. And I want to end on something fun. What is your favorite sea story? Like an adventure, something Everybody that likes the pirate story. Yes. Okay. So is this the one in Yemen? No. no. Can I tell you the truth? My favorite sea story. And I'll tell you about the Yemen part of the story. Okay. But okay. I was a young captain. I was running a 92 foot boat and I worked for the billionaire who built the mall of the Emirates in Dubai at the time. And I had to deliver the boat from Marbella and his friend suggested a marina. And I was like chatting to the first officer and then time had passed. And I'm like, where's this marina? And he said, oh my God, it's like three hours back the other way. Oh, man. So I went to the owner and I said, I go find a marina. So we pulled in this marina and it was too small. And he's like, I go, Mr. Mondo, like we can't fit in this marina. <laughs> he goes, that's stupid, man. <laughs> I never admitted it. You know what I mean? I never said it was my fault. Yeah. Obviously, I have evolved as a captain and now I pay attention more than I used to. So that's a kind of funny one. I have one more before the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. I was on a 72 Hatteras in Eastport, Maryland, which is right next to the bridge is Annapolis. And I was in this old shipyard and had these rickety docks and the water pipes ran under the dock. Well, I had, the owner was coming in and I had read the engines up and they had switched the, they had changed the technology. So the throttles were no longer here. They were on the left and the throttles on the other boat I used to run were on the right. So it's called D-Deck. They mm-hmm. upgraded. So as I ran the engines to warm the engine room, boat was clean. What I thought at 1500 RPMs, I was putting the throttle down, bringing the engines down. I mm-hmm. put it in reverse. Mm. All I saw was a massive dock flying at me and water gushing everywhere. <laughs> and so the dock was old. I don't know, adrenaline. I pushed the dock back like over and it landed perfectly down, but the water was still gushing. And I grabbed vice grips and I cut off the water. And all these people started coming out of their sailboats going, what happened to the water? I went, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no go. So the, I called the shipyard and I'm like, I totally just destroyed your dock and your water. So he fixed it. 
So those are a couple stories. And then the Red Sea fire, I was chased by, not chased by pirates. It was the threat of pirates, but I had a fire in the Red Sea. Uh, before that, we had engine problems. I anchored off Yemen. It was a military camp. We had no idea. It was like four in the morning. We woke up. All these gunboats were surrounding us. And it was very stressful. I was on the phone with the states and the shipyard, and we were trying to work it out. So we think we finally fixed the problem after warding off these people for five days. As we go around the corner, our vessel catches on fire. And we were now completely not going to make it to Dubai. And I remember, and we were just off the coast of Yemen, and I heard this warship with a female's voice, and it was two days after President Bush was reelected. Mm-hmm. And no one would answer her. And that made me mad. I'm like, because she's a female. Not one person will answer her. Because after September 11th, the United Nations formed a coalition of warships to monitor the Red Sea and other bodies of water where piracy is, mm-hmm. you know, active. And I remembered Warship 6-8. So I said, I'm an American citizen, sustained a fire floating in Yemen territory. And the cool thing is, is they came back and said, you'll remain our priority until you're safe. When they arrived, I had one kid, he was from California, and he's like, I'm going to tell him I'm Canadian. I go, they don't care where you're from, man up. Yeah, They're going to take us all. You know what I mean? So when they came, I just said, yeah. He goes, how many people we have on board? I go, 13, but you can leave the Canadian. It was funny. (laughs) You know, we made light of it. The other part was a lot of the crew were foreign. Actually, it was just myself and the, the guy who were American. And they didn't like that it was... Uh, Bush was reelected because, you know, in that part of the world, Republicans are not really liked. And so when the flag was U.S., I'm like, who do we love? I'm sorry. I don't see a Kiwi flag. I don't see this flag. And I just started rubbing it in. And they're like, we love Americans. I'm like, yes. So the American warship rescued us and actually towed me back into Hadida, Yemen. I sat there for 13 days until we could get a rescue. And we had rocket launchers around the boat. Like we were heavily guarded but it was pretty scary i can't lie Are and all- the one thing that i won an award i did stay calm i had a girl try to jump overboard a guy tried to kill the other guy because he pulled the co2 it was complete chaos your distinguished crew award right was that yeah. the one that you got yeah, yeah. for yeah. yeah being brave and keeping the calm and all of the chaos yes and that's where this title came from be the calm or be the storm yeah because i remember these eyeballs were looking at me And I thought, I can't show them I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. I got to show them that I'm in control. And when this girl tried to jump overboard, I remember grabbing her and saying, sit here. I'm calling the warship. The Americans are on their way. Mm -hmm. And my chief Sue came in and I just said, plot the the position. And she goes, Sandy, we're floating in Shark Shoals. So I looked at the other girl. She was from the Philippines. And I said, aren't you glad you didn't jump in? (laughs) You know, the pirates or the sharks. I mean, come on. You know, I think you have a better chance with me. So we just, I just kept lightening the mood. And I think that's really important when you're in leadership. You can't, when it's all falling apart, even if you can't meet your payroll, you don't put that out onto your employees. Mm -hmm. That stays with you as a leader. You figure it out. You don't bring them into that. You let them know you're in control. You have their backs. And that's why you're in a leadership role. Absolutely. That is very, very true. Well, Sandy, I'm very grateful to have had this conversation with you. I can't wait for Be the Calm or Be the Storm. And 
for watching Below Deck, where we can see more of you. I appreciate you. And in the book, yeah. are there more of these fun stories? I'm just so interested in... Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a great story. So from my past crew, not Below Deck crew. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Malia is the only one that made the book from Below Deck. Yeah. As an example. And I'm proud of her. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm really proud of her. So these are stories mm. from my teams that I hired that were with me for years. We stay in touch. You know, I had a core group. And this is what happens in the real world of yachting. You know, every season we get new crews. That's not the case in yachting. When you find a team, you fight for their pay. You fight for them and you keep them in your core. And that's why I was very successful as a charter captain. Yeah. As my team. I love that. Yeah. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you. And I'll see you in March. Yes. Come on. Yeah, let me okay. know. I Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love. The type of love that will defeat anxiety. The type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence.